Chapter 54 of The Cliff Climbers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Thomas. The Cliff Climbers by Thomas Main Reed. Chapter 54. The Bean of Pythagoras. The discovery of the water lily was not a thing of recent occurrence. They had known of its existence before, and more than once had visited the little embayment in the lake which it chiefly grew. In fact, it had attracted their attention a few days after their first arrival in the valley, not by its own conspicuousness, for its broad, round leaves spread horizontally upon the surface could scarce be seen from the shore. Only when its beautiful pink-white flowers were in bloom could it be observed at any great distance. That which had first led them to approach the place where it grew and examine the plant was their having noticed a singular phenomenon connected with it, and which for a while had puzzled all three of them to explain. The bed of lilies, at that time in full bloom, was visible from the place where they had originally made their encampment, and every morning, just after daybreak, and sometimes also during the day, they were in the habit of seeing some birds disporting themselves near that place in a singular manner, very singular indeed, since these birds appeared to walk upon the water. They were tall, long-legged, slender-bodied creatures, and easily distinguished by both Carl and Caspar as belonging to the family of Relidiae, or water hens. There could be no doubt that they were walking on the water, sometimes slowly, at other times in a quick run, and, what was even more unaccountable than this, they were seen at times to stand still upon the water. Aye, and what might be considered more surprising still, they performed this aquatic feat upon only one leg. The thing might have been more mysterious had not Carl from the first suspected the reason why the laws of specific gravity appeared to be thus contradicted. He suspected the existence of some plant whose leaves, lying spread on the surface, perhaps offered the footing for the birds sufficiently firm to support the weight of their bodies. The botanist was only reasoning from remembrance. He had lately read the account, published but a few years before, of the discovery of the gigantic water lily of tropical America, the Victoria Regia, and remembered how its discoverers had spoken of large birds of the crane family making their perch upon its huge leaves, and thus supported, playing about over the surface of the water, as if the firm earth had been under their feet. With these facts fresh in his memory, Carl conjectured that the water hens, seen by him and his companions, were supported on a similar pedestal, and playing themselves on a like platform. His conjecture proved correct, for, on visiting the place shortly after, the broad orbicular leaves of the Nilumbium speciosum were perceived, almost as large as those of the South American cogena. Other interesting points relating to the great lily growing in the Himalayan lake Carl had mentioned from time to time to his companions, for he knew that the Nilumbium speciosum was the celebrated Pythagorean beam mentioned in the writings of the Greeks, more especially by Herodotus and Theophrastes. It is described by these writers as growing plentifully in Egypt, and no doubt was cultivated in that country in their day though it is not known there at the present time. It is found represented on the Egyptian sculptures, and so accurately has it been described by the Greek writers as to leave no doubt as to the identification of the species. It is one of the plants supposed to be the celebrated lotus of antiquity, and this supposition is probable enough, since not only its succulent stalk, but its seeds or beans have been eaten in all times by the people in whose country it grows. It is a food that produces a strengthening effect upon the system, and it is also very refreshing in case of thirst. The Chinese call it linhua, and its seeds, with thin slices of its root mixed with the kernels of apricots and walnuts, and placed between the alternate layers of rice, constituted one of the select dishes offered by the great mandarins to the British ambassadors on the visit of the latter to the Celestial Empire. 
these people store up the roots of the lingua for future use, preserving them in a pickle of salt and vinegar. The Japanese also make use of the plant as an succulent, and it is, moreover, regarded by them as sacred to their divinities, the images of which are often represented seated upon its large leaves. The flowers of the Nelibulum speciosum, when in full bloom, give out the most fragrant odour, somewhat resembling that of anise, while the seeds, shaped like acorns, have a flavour equal in richness and delicacy to that of the finest almonds. End of chapter 54. Recording by Mark Thomas.